Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. So we've begun a new worship series today, as this is our first Sunday in December. We kind of closed out and bridged last Sunday into Advent, and this one is called, You Have Heard That It Was Said. It is moving from maxim to mantra. And so a maxim is a truth or a principle. Sometimes it's a piece of a law that we use to continue to ground us and guide us. And then a mantra is something different. A mantra actually traces itself back to some of the oldest world religions. And it's the idea that there is either a word or a phrase that you might repeatedly utter, almost like a chant, in order to draw strength. It's an auspicious thing that you do so that you can be guided and grounded and focused on the spiritual things. Now, there are certainly specific mantras that come from Hinduism and Buddhism, but a lot of Christians aren't aware that they have unofficial mantras. These are things that people will tend to say over and over again to kind of focus themselves, to refrain from sinning sometimes. I know that when I have had negative interactions with people and I am still having to interact with them, I will often draw on a piece of scripture. I will repeatedly say to myself from 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient. Love is patient. Love is patient. As I am trying to remember to stay patient with people who might be frustrating me. But Nevertheless, I am called to love them, show them grace, and be in right relationship with them. And so many people will use a piece of a sacred song or a hymn. It might be a full verse or it might just be the chorus, a piece of the lyric. Many people will use even a prayer that they're not necessarily praying, but they are kind of repeating over and over again, and it has that mantra effect. Many people in a moment of real fear or terror will just continually cite the Lord's Prayer, and that's wonderful. There's nothing wrong with that. Anything that helps to connect us to God and we draw strength from sacred music or sacred scripture is a blessing. And so we're going to be looking at how Jesus was addressing a maxim, a piece of law. This is literally from the book of law, from the first part of the Bible known as the Torah to Jesus' people. And so he was taking that and he was trying to transform their understanding. They had only gone so far by being so devout to that one understanding. And Jesus came to change everything. This is something that a lot of Christians say about Christmas, is that this is the day that the entire trajectory of the earth shifted. And then all of humankind was on a different path. And in order for that to be true, we have to realize that even now, Jesus is trying to transform how we think and feel and understand. And so we ask that the divine wisdom that God was willing to pour out even then through the presence of the Holy Spirit, God would continue to pour upon us anew and afresh this day and every day. So let's talk about what we heard. Some of you will recognize that piece of Hanarabi's code, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And who was Hanarabi? 
He was actually a Babylonian monarch. He was a king, and the Babylonian Empire stretched from the 1800s to the 1500s BC, significantly before the arrival of the Christ child. And unfortunately, the encounter that the people of Israel had with the people of Babylon was as a conquered vassal. They had been uh, the subject of a siege, they had been conquered, and they had been taken off into exile, a great portion of them. The rest were subjugated in their homeland. And while they were there, while the upper echelon, the political, socioeconomic, and religious leaders of their day were living in exile in Babylon, they came into contact with new things. But they were also processing a new way of thinking about God, what we would call theology. And in their exilic experience, they encountered what Hammurabi had done. He had created a code that had 282 laws in it. And in this, he was seeking to bring order and set limits, boundaries, specifically on retribution. There is something very basic and very uh, just universal about human beings. When we have been wronged, we want vengeance. We want the other person to understand. We want them to feel the pain and to know what it is to suffer. And sometimes we want that to the nth degree. We would, re we would almost like to annihilate them. They have hurt us so bad. And so back then, Hanarabi realized that you had to put a limit. And so he developed a code, the most famous piece of, or in this case, most infamous piece of, is eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. So that if I should lose my eye, I cannot cut off your head. If I lose my eye, I cannot demand that I take both of yours. Instead, it is only on par that if I have lost an eye, then the greatest impact I could have upon you is to cause you to lose an eye. Well, I was actually going to bring you my glasses so that you could see how me losing an eye is a much bigger deal than some people. I have incredibly thick glasses, so thick that Costco won't even fill my prescription. That's how bad my glasses are. I've been wearing glasses since I was seven. And even now with my corrective lenses, I don't have 20-20 vision. That's how almost blind I am. So for me, the thought of losing an eye is terrifying. I would rather lose an arm. Uh, to me, it's a horrible, horrible thing. And other people would be like, I could really rock that pirate look. I'm fine. Uh, but we have to remember that it's not that I get to decide the value of my eye. It's that it's trying to create a universal standard by which it can be applied. And so that's what Hanarabi was trying to do. Now, when the people of Israel encountered that, they saw that it, in some ways it was very helpful because their culture had come from an area of the world where if you were to wrong me, then you haven't just picked a fight with me. My whole family is going to come and get retribution on you. And then your family is going to have to get your back. And you can see where this just deteriorates into the classic Catfield versus McCoy's kind of mindset. And there's no way that that's going to end well. It certainly isn't going to end with justice and it will never end with reconciliation, which is what God ultimately requires. And so the people of Israel kind of folded that code into their own. While Hanarabi had 282 precepts, there are 613 mitzvot 
or commandments in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. And this code is actually cited in Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. And you might think to yourself, well, if it came from Babylon, why in the world would they put it in their code book? Why would they do that? And that doesn't sound like it's from God. Well, it's possible that it's not. But in the United Methodist tradition, we also believe that God's inspiration isn't limited just to Methodists. And so we have received divine inspiration, not just from other Christian denominations, but we've received it from other peoples as well. And so we would kind of have a little bit more flexibility to understand that. If you're a, a strict constructionalist of the scripture, then that's probably very disturbing to you that something so human could end up in the scriptures. Um, I will do an entire Bible study another time to show you other examples of that. But but what we want to focus on is that it recognized that we need limits on retribution. Now, one of the more difficult things is what Jesus says afterwards. You've heard eye for an eye and tooth for tooth. Everybody that he was talking to understood what that meant, and they had accepted it. It was a part of their legal code, a part of their religious code, and it was part of their culture. To have somebody say, you know what, you've hurt me, eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, people will go, well, yeah. But... Jesus is saying, let's try something else. Because if I take your eye, now we're both half blind. If I take your tooth, now both of us are suffering. Instead of finding a way to move beyond the initial pain and suffering, we continue to engage it and perpetuate it. And Jesus didn't come for that. Jesus didn't come to condemn. Jesus didn't come to cause us more pain and suffering than we already have here on earth. Instead, as the Gospel of John boldly proclaims, Jesus came to heal, to help, and to allow us to find a better, more holy way to live out our lives. And so Jesus is going to push back on Hanarabi's code. Here, Jesus is going to say, do not resist an evildoer. And again, we have to pause. Because while that is a good translation into English, the problem is that how they were using words is not the same as how we use words. We run into this, especially with the word judgment in the scriptures. But today we're going to run into it with resist. The idea of resisting an evildoer was not to engage in retribution, not to continually seek to cause them the same amount of pain that you had received. And especially since we're talking about legalism here, we're talking about a law, something that would be applied by the judges who had both secular and religious authority in Jesus' day. And so Jesus was challenging us to think of a better way. And so Jesus starts to say, if they slap you on the cheek, turn the other one. So this isn't like a punch. This is not a right hook. This would be a backhanded hit. So that when you hit and you turned the left cheek with the hit, you were actually seeking to humiliate them, to publicly embarrass them to cause them that kind of social pain that is so hurtful to so many of us. And the idea is that instead of turning around and smacking them back and continuing in this smack fest, instead you would redirect your energy and your response into, I am not going to perpetuate this. I am not going to keep hitting you. I am not going to give in to your desire for violence and further humiliation. And instead, it was inviting people to see that you were not going to participate in this earthly way of being, which is something that was vital for the disciples to hear and to understand. 
Because as we are going to continue in this series in the Sundays ahead, what we are going to discover is that Jesus was trying to prepare them for the reality. Oftentimes, people received that kind of slap of the face if they uttered a blasphemy. And the time is quickly coming when anyone who utters the name Jesus Christ is going to be considered blaspheming. And therefore, they are going to experience just that, being publicly slapped and humiliated. But Jesus doesn't want them slapping back. And Jesus will model this himself when he is betrayed on what we celebrate as Monday or Holy Thursday. Jesus will be taken by the guards to the house of the high priest. And there in that household, he will be slapped in the same way. And instead of slapping back or getting really vicious, Jesus says, tell me what it is that I have said that is wrong. Tell me where I have not spoken the truth. He will use his words to redirect the actions and to make everyone kind of pause, which they will. They will realize that they are not going to get the reaction out of him that they need. And so instead, he will spend the night in a cell. And the next day, they will hand him over to the Roman authorities who will do the very same thing. In addition to the whipping and the beating and the scourging, they will slap him. But he will not retaliate in that way. In fact, it culminates in the most radical of responses, which is from the cross as one of the last things that Jesus does in his earthly ministry, which was inaugurated on Christmas. Jesus will ask for the forgiveness of those who have not only humiliated and hurt him, but those that have continued to perpetuate this mindset and way of being that is retaliation, retribution, and vengeance. There's a reason why over and over again in the Old Testament, God says, vengeance is mine. Don't seek it out, for we will always go too far. Instead, we have to trust that our God, who is so great and so mighty and so able to see and know all things, knows. And the day is coming when all of us will have to account for what we have done. All of those who will consider us blasphemers when we speak truth and love, all of those who will seek to publicly humiliate and embarrass us so that we will stop being disciples of Jesus Christ or stop doing what we believe to be right, those people will have to stand before the risen Christ on the throne and account. And Jesus is the one who said that this is not my way. And so we have to remember that when that next time comes, when we feel that urge rise in us, that very natural and ubiquitous urge to strike back harder and faster. We are called to follow the Prince of Peace. And his way is not of escalation. His way is of grace and forgiveness. And it's a hard thing because this passage has often been used to say that Christians are milquetoast. Christians are the whipping boy of the world. We'll never fight back. We will never strike back. And so people should just abuse us and we should accept it. But that is certainly not what Jesus was saying. There are countless times in his earthly ministry where people did try to hurt him. But he didn't stay where he wasn't wanted. Instead, he went to those who were hungry for grace, who yearned to taste forgiveness and didn't believe that this incredible God could love them. Those are the people that he focuses his time and his energy upon. And that's who we are invited to do the same with. Not to go where we are not wanted and not to continually pound onto people's doors and in their minds that Christ is theirs, but to offer. And if they do not receive us, then we 
wipe the dust from our feet, and we go to those who are broken and seek to be whole, to those who are hungry and yearn to be fed, to those who ask and want to know, who is this Lord that you serve? That's where we focus our time and our energy and our words, rather than striking back. We've become a people that don't use violence against one another as much as we use our words. We use the means at our disposal, whether they are emails, text messages, phone calls, gossip, a way in which we can use our words to cause incredible and lasting pain and suffering. And we comfort ourselves by saying, well, I didn't hit him, I didn't kill him, but you hurt him. And we are not called to be those who hurt. We serve the one who came to heal. And often this passage has been used to say that people who are in an abusive marriage should stay in that. This does not excuse a spouse beating another spouse. This does not excuse a parent beating a child in an abusive way. That is not what this passage is about. Instead, this passage is about empowering us to walk a different path. It's saying, I'm not going to stand here and let you beat me, and I'm not going to let you beat him, but we're going to find a different way of being, and we're going to go about our lives in a different place. And choosing to follow Jesus rather than follow that inner desire to cause them the same pain and suffering. And when we follow what Jesus is offering us, what we find is that we have truly been empowered because instead we focus on what our task and our call is as disciples. We are given the opportunity to look instead at walking the path, the one that is not paved in worldly wealth and power and prestige, but a path that is rocky and hilly, full of valleys and dark places, and yet we go forth with the one who is the light of the world. We go forth to magnify that light for others so that even as we are sometimes stumbling along that path, as long as we stay true, we will have others who will join us and we will discover that we are all heading to the one place we all long and yearn to be and that is the kingdom to come. There is no other way. There is no easy way. There is no way that is filled with vengeance and retaliation that will lead there there is accountability and justice and that comes from god we are called to focus on mercy kindness and grace and that is the path that we are invited to walk that is the path that we are using advent to prepare ourselves for to journey that way all the rest of our days sometimes we think we're only going to bethlehem and then it's over and then we go back about our lives. But Advent is about choosing the larger journey, the journey that seemed to stop there, but it wasn't over. Very quickly, Jesus and his family will have to journey to Egypt, to a land of exiles. And there they will stay until they come back and realize we cannot go to Bethlehem. Now we must go to a new place and start again in Nazareth. What we end up finding is that Life in the Bible is about the journey and sometimes not going where we thought we were going to go. But God says, no matter where you go, I am with you and for you. And when you choose to embody the words of Jesus Christ, I will be with and for others in and through you. That is truly the greatest gift. Those of us who are female and who have had children 
have a certain affinity and an understanding and empathy even for Mary. We know what it is like to bear Christ in that way, to have a child. But Christmas is about recognizing that God is inviting all of us to be bearers of Christ. It doesn't matter if we're fertile or if we're not. What instead is important is, will we choose to allow this word and this ministry to become part of who we are and to bring that forth in the world, to bring new life, to bring new glory and grace? And that is precisely what this Christmas journey is coming to. We're going to see in uh, just a few short weeks the children, the Jesus of populating nativities. We're going to sing the songs that Christ is here. And then what? Where do we go from here? We have a long way ahead of us before we enter into the kingdom to come. So we have to hear how Jesus is inviting us to have something new. And what Jesus is saying to us today is, don't hit back. Not with your hand, not with your fist, not with your weapons and your violence. Don't hit back with your words of anger and hatred. Instead, choose a different way. It is what we are called to do is to point out the, the fallacies and the flaws of this world. We are here to say it is not okay to hit people. It is not okay to perpetuate violence on people, us or anyone else. We are here to be that voice crying out in the wilderness as Christians. But we have to find a way to say that that is not adulterated by words that are sometimes used to hurt and then other times used to heal. We must be, remain committed to the healing and the hope the words that we have received from our Lord and Savior. And that is not easy, but it makes all the difference in the world. Think back on a person that has changed how you understand yourself, that has changed how you understand living in this world. It might be a Christian, it might not. But how did their words and how they talked to you change how you understood yourself? That is the gift that God is asking us to bestow on the world, not just in Advent or on Christmas, but every day. That we have words that instead seem to come from a place much holier, deeper, and profound than our earthly vessel. And by the presence of the Holy Spirit, that is truly possible. We have the ability to reject pain and suffering and vengeance and instead offer space for people to stop their own desire to cause pain and suffering and recognize that in the space that we have created, not only is there forgiveness and grace to be found, but the greatest gift is reconciliation. And God wanted God's people to have that. Back in the Torah, in the prophetic books of the Old Testament, in the New Testament, and here today. May we finally discover that this is truly how we have been empowered to change not only how we respond to this world, but how others will experience God's grace in it. And may that continue to grow and to be lived out in the days to come. May it be so. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. 
We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.